This morning's reading is taken from 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, starting at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not, not only to give, but also to have the des desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's begin with a word of prayer. O oh, good and giving Father, open our ears that we might hear your word, that through it we may see your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, send your spirit that we might sense his presence and be enabled to receive your word and your good gifts. That hearing your word, we might be empowered to do it so that we might receive not only your good gifts, but be able to share them to your glory and honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1989, Judy and I were stuck in Hong Kong. We didn't plan to be there, but circumstances put us there. We had been in northern China, and the incidents at Tiananmen broke out, and we were asked by our embassy to leave, and so we went to Hong Kong and we waited expectantly to see what was going to transpire there. And one of the things that when you're outside of China, and people who've worked in China and missions for years have done this, you begin to scour everything for news. And while we were there, I picked up a South China Morning Post, and there was an absolutely fascinating article in there. And what it was about was that political officials within the Chinese Communist Party were frustrated. And they were frustrated with what was going on in the countryside, that membership in the party was dwindling. And they wanted to get at what was going on. Not only was people, people not joining the party, they weren't attending meetings. In fact, they were actually paying people to go to the party meetings. And when they began to investigate, worst of all, they discovered that uh, 
one local official had, had stooped to the point that he had to go to the local church to make announcements on agricultural policy. And this was just seen as a tremendous shame, as you can imagine. Now, given their history and how they understand how Christianity works, they assume that these were rice Christians, that somehow they were being lured and manipulated to come to these churches, and they wanted to do an investigation to prove their suspicions right. And so they went out to the local farmers and began to ask them and said, are you getting paid to, to go to this church? And they said, no. In fact, we go and we give our money. <laughs> you know, this was put out because the party was, of course, very upset about this at the time because it was a great shame. More recently, though, however, Chinese scholars in uh, have begun to pay attention to this phenomenon. They see it as something that has pragmatic value. In fact, there are people who are researchers at Beijing University and elsewhere, and the China Academy of Social Sciences, who be, have begun to write on what they see as the secret of Western society, and at that, and at that core lies the value, the pragmatic value, of Christianity. In fact, there are today uh, scholars who argue that China should adopt a social Christian culture. Now, they say this has nothing to do with believing in Jesus. They just want to adopt all the principles because they seem to work. Now, I find that fascinating because I think Paul, as we see in his letter today to the Corinthians, that he would smile and say, you can't do it that way. That you can't have generosity. That you can't have this effect on society without grace. You see, Paul understood that grace unlocks generosity. That produces the equality that those officials wish to see within China. that all the human philosophy or pragmatic social ideology and political ideology and campaigns cannot produce what grace engenders. But one of the things I think we would find if we look a little closer at this passage, that not only would Paul's words and, and, and message that he give shock and not work for Chinese government officials. It should shock us a little bit. Why? Because it brings together something that we evangelicals too often separate. Grace and action. You see, for grace to work, it has something to do with what we do. And because it has something to do with what we do, Paul's guidance is very practical guidance. And so this morning we want to look at three things. First we want to look at why giving has to do with grace. 
What is it that I do with my money or in my generosity or my giving that is empowered and enabled by the grace of God? Secondly, the very practical question of how much should I give? And finally, the ethical question, which is always involved when we start doing things, is, is this fair? Is this right? Let's begin with the first one. Why is giving grace? One thing that's fascinating about chapter 8, especially the first nine verses, is that it's just laced with grace. In fact, the translators have a problem. When you read it in the English, you don't even see all the times it mentions grace. In fact, if we read it in English, it would say grace, 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 grace. But it culminates in verse 9. Everything builds up to verse 9 and flows from verse 9. Which reads, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so it's no accident that Paul puts this at the heart of chapter 8. Everything flows into it, and everything flows out of it because everything in terms of grace and generosity moves towards Christ and flows from Christ. Christ is the impetus of generosity by his incarnation and death on the cross. He's the ongoing catalyst of generosity and giving. Hence Paul using this passage to encourage the Corinthians to give. But most importantly, Christ is the end of giving. It was perfect that Peter ended with that song before we came into worship. Because everything flowing in and out of this passage is that our giving not only comes from Christ, but is, is given so that we might be like Christ. He is the exemplar of grace that we are seeking to move into and to become like. What Peter was singing about and what we sang about is what has often been referred to as the paradox of grace. H.A. Williams catches it well. He writes, There is within me a me which is both greater than me and at the same time authentically myself. One way to understand this mysterious truth is by what is called the paradox of grace. The more God gives me his grace, in other words, himself, the more I am myself. The more I discover within me the greater than me, the more I discover that, greater, that the greater than me, or that that is greater than me, is authentically me. So what Paul is in a sense talking about in terms of generosity and his practical advice flows out of who Christ is and that me that's me but more than me. 
and hence Paul's practical advice. What needs to be done by the Corinthians for the grace of generosity to take shape is to now participate in that grace of Jesus Christ. Listen to his words. He said, and here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. First, it's important to see that Paul is giving advice, not a command. This, in a sense, is evolved with the willingness and the decision of the Corinthians to follow. So it is all about freedom, not coercion and manipulation. But what is important now is to finish the work. It is to do it. It is to move from zeal, the wanting to give, to making it an essential part of their character. And that requires doing. You see, in giving, we see the bridge between the me and the more, more than me. We see in the act of giving, we become transformed in the act itself. You know, this whole sense of moving between who I am and who I'm called to be is, can be humorous at times. I was working in a church and I was a director of Christian education, and one of the things that director of Christian education have to do is do administration. And one of the things I can tell you right now, I'm not gifted in administration. And so one of the things I did is I fell down on my knees. I said, Lord, you need to help me here. And luckily, we had a great senior pastor who took a look at me and took a look at what I had to do and what I was doing. He said, Tom, we need to have a meeting. So he called me down to his office and showed me how to set up a year calendar. He said, Tom, first thing you need to do is start planning six months in advance. I said, six months in advance? He says, yes, everything you do, start six months in advance and start building it slowly. Well, anyway, I put all the things that Kent said, you know, and things started to work. And it was funny because one of the ladies who was in the church and was teaching in the Sunday school, she came into me and she said, Tom, you are just a natural administrator. You must have the gift of administration. And I just laughed out loud. I said, Ruth, I'm going to write down a telephone number, and I want you to call this number, and I want you to tell the person on the other line exactly what you just said. She said, what? She said, yeah. I she said, who is it? I said, it's my father. She will say, he will say that the Tom you have described and the Tom who is my son are two completely different people. But you know, as I reflect on that, that's how God works, isn't it? That he takes us as we are and transforms us into that more through the doing of it. But it's not as a sense of merit. It's a sense of grace. It was external to me. It wasn't something that was part of what I was doing. But God, by his grace and his work, had brought me to that state. This leads so much into Paul's next instruction which is, how much should we then give? Paul's advice here is both practical 
and radical. He says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. According to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Now the question of whether it was acceptable most likely had to do a lot with the Judean situation. There was a sense that that the Corinthians had probably, in their zeal, promised much. And now, given the reality of the situation, they were afraid that they couldn't follow through on what they'd committed. And Paul's advice here, then, is very refreshing. He says, what makes the offering acceptable is the willingness to give, and that the gift is to be according to what they have, not what they don't have. Nonetheless, it's important for us to pay attention here that that Paul is not saying that, oh, we're just concerned about your attitude. No, there's a real concern about actual giving and reflection in terms of what we just saw about habitual grace, that there be a framework of regular giving. And there's a principle here that's very important, that all of us should give according to our means, what we are able to give. That Paul has set forth a principle that is not for the rich only, but it's for all of us. And his guidance suggests that what we are asked to give is not just a one-off gift, but a regular contribution. You see, the Corinthians had given before And Paul had used their example to motivate the Macedonians. Now Paul uses the example of the Macedonians for the Corinthians to continue on in their habit of regular giving. But Paul recognizes, and we need to recognize too, that giving has to be a regular discipline in our lives. And that that giving needs to be measured against what we make and what we're able to give. Now, one of the things that Christians have traditionally done in this regard is tithing. Now, this is not a rule and it's not a regulation. And one of the things in terms of everything in this passage, as we've seen, is a matter of grace. But tithing's really not a bad idea. Why? Because what you do is you set aside a percentage of your income to regularly give. And you do that so that what is built into your life, built into the habits, built into your DNA is giving. And giving on a regular basis. Again, it isn't a rule or a command, but rather a way of disciplining our finances and our lives so that it accords with our ability to give. And in this regard, though, you need to choose what you need to do. But one of the things that we've seen is it's important that you do give and give regularly for your own sake. Which leads to our final point. Is all this fair? Now, when I read this section in Paul, I was kind of taken aback. I kind of was saying, of course it's fair. Paul's an apostle. You got to accept what this guy has to say. How can you deny it? But that's looking backwards. Well, and one thing that's interesting is Paul does not dismiss this concern. 
He says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. The collection is not to impoverish the Corinthians in order to benefit the Judeans so that they might be rich, but rather to relieve the Judeans so that there might be equality. Now, I believe here at Paul's passage, this can be read wrongly in two ways. First, it would be wrong to suggest that Paul is condemning the benefit and the blessings of the Corinthians. That the fact that the Corinthians have more and the Judeans have less is a matter of injustice that needs to be corrected. And one of the things I have found as I have gone around this world and talked about these issues, this often comes up. In fact, just last month I was in a conference in London and I was sitting in a, in a conference room and a person, the speaker got up and he didn't know I was in the room, but he hauled out our journal transformation and used it as a negative example. It was all about how businessmen could use their business to contribute to mission and help people out. And he was shocked, shocked. How could a reputable mission school and our mission journal back up the evil of capitalism and business? And I sat there for a while, I said, I stood up and I said, well, I just happened to be the dean there. <laughs> and to tell you the truth, some of the most wonderful, giving, generous saints I have ever met have been businessmen. In fact, I suspect that our conference was being paid for by Christian businessmen. But Paul does not castigate the uh, Corinthians for having what they have. No, it's seen as an opportunity to give. There's a sense of being able to make a difference, to help out the Judeans. And they have been zealous to do this, now finish through the work. Now, on the other hand, we can read this wrong in the other direction. That God's not interested in equality. That God uh, would have it so that one people would be enormously blessed and that the other would be forever poor. But that's not what Paul says. For Paul, the goal is equality. The Corinthians have and the Judeans are in need. So it is right for them to give. That in addressing the need of the Judeans, the goal is to bring about that equality through generosity. And that generosity will create surplus so that the Judeans can give. Giving to deal with need is to empower those you give so that they can give. This week we've been hit by the horrible images of Haiti. I just can't stop flipping through the pictures of the tears of people with no help 
jumping on buildings and trying to remove the stones that are lying on top of their beloved children, husbands, wives. And yes, there is a movement now, and people have been moved to give. And it is right that we should provide relief and come alongside the Haitians and help them in their time of need and rebuild their shattered lives. But we need to do more than that. Giving is about empowering. And empowering so that they have the ability to contribute. As one who has lived overseas, I can appreciate that. There are so many times I have been blessed by people who have been blessed by Christians. When our boys were very small, we were in the city of Dalian, and we had to get a train from Dalian back to Fusin where we were teaching. And it was cold, it was winter, Joe was throwing up. We were at this train station, and the line was forever, and we kept getting in the wrong line. My Chinese was bad, <laughs> and we were getting desperate. And then out of the midst, comes this face of someone I never knew, China, young Chinese man. He says, you look like you could use some help in perfect English. <laughs> and I said, we can. And he, and he said, what do you need? I said, we need to get tickets to Fusin. He says, you stay right here. Trust me, I'll go get the tickets. So I gave him the money. He disappeared. He comes back a little bit later with the tickets. He says, you get on this platform, you're ready to go. And I said, I, I, I can't thank you enough. He said, that's okay, that's okay. He said, I went to school in Boston. I said, well, that's good. He says, while I was there, I met the nicest people. There were people who invited me into their home, who fed me, took care of me. And so this is great for me because I can help you. And he says, beyond that, they took me to church. And I thought, hmm, somebody's doing their work. <laughs> Someone had taken the time to befriend that young man. And because they had taken the time to get to know him and help him and serve him, he made all the difference for Judy and I. You know, I think about that in light of Will's call for Alpha. You know, Alpha's all about meeting people, inviting them here. And I know this is a congregation that reaches out to international students through the work of Richard and Karen. But what you're in doing when you bring people in and show them that generosity, you empower them to be what God has called them to be, to be like Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And it does that first by grace. That it is in giving that we truly do receive. Two, that what God asks is within our means. And God has given us the ability to meet those needs and to give accordingly. And finally, it entails both our giving and receiving. 
Amen.